So we heard the word of the, the Lord just a moment ago, Pastor Aaron read, and we, we heard all about how Pentecost began. And growing up, I, I heard a lot of messages on, on this idea of the fire and the flames and the speaking in tongues, and it, it was always focused on those elements of things. And, and, and really, I, I want us to, to go beyond that this morning. I want us to go a little bit deeper and ask a question that hopefully we'll be able to get some answers to as we look at the scriptures that follow Acts 2, 1 through 4. And that question is quite simply, why Pentecost? Why Pentecost? Why was it important? I mean, uh, Jesus had already done a lot of work. He had already preached a lot of messages, but there was something else that was needed. And Jesus knew it before he left the earth. He promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And so this morning, as we ask this question, we're going to find out what happened that was so amazing that day. Why was it so important? And the, the bottom line part of this that we'll delve into this morning is why Pentecost? Because power was released on that day. Power of the Holy Spirit was released in a unique way. And in, uh, in a few minutes here, we're going to talk about all of those ways in which power was released into this world. If you stop and think for just a few minutes about things that we, we have in our everyday lives that invented. And you think, you know, the, the most significant, if you could think of the most significant inventions of, of the universe's lifetime, would maybe these that I'm about to show you some pictures of, maybe this would make your list. The wheel. Where, how would we have gotten here this morning if it wasn't for the wheel, right? It would have been a long walk from Gallatin or Westmoreland or wherever it was you came from this morning. So the wheel is a significant one. This next one, probably didn't make your list of thoughts, but the compass. The compass was what allowed the exploration of the known world. Without the compass, people wouldn't have known if they were going north or south or east or west very well, and so the compass allowed exploration and proliferation of the world. The next one is a big one, especially for Christianity. It's the printing press. The Gutenberg press was what first allowed the Bible to be taken to a lot of different people because it enabled a, a cheap way of getting books printed. And so the printing press is something that was revolutionary to mankind. The next one, maybe uh, it, some of you don't even recognize what this is. A few of you might, but this, this is what a telephone used to look like. Um, and, and this was something that enabled people to be able to communicate with each other. And communication, uh, even within a, a community, was greatly enhanced by the invention of the telephone. And this last one that I'm going to show you, probably some of you don't even know what this is. Shout out if you think you know what it is. Steam engine. There we go. All right. I could count on Franklin back there. He, he drove one when he was a kid. So <laughs> don't hate me, Franklin. Sorry. But the steam engine, it allowed us to be able to move heavy things and to be able to do farm work in a, a far more efficient way. And so these inventions that you've seen, they impacted mankind. But if you go all the way back to Genesis 1-1, the creation of the world, and you look at those first couple of chapters of the Bible, you find out that there was something more significant that impacted mankind, and that was sin coming into the world through Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were uh, in a perfect place, in this perfect garden, and they had just one rule. That would be awesome to only have one rule you had to follow. But they only had one rule, and they were tempted into breaking that one rule. And when they did, sin entered the world and changed everything for all of us. 
I think we'd all agree that the world would be a lot simpler and easier if there was no sin in it, right? So it impacted all of us. Then 4,000 years later, Jesus is born. He lives a life 30 years and then enters into an earthly ministry for three years, and then he's crucified, seemingly defeated. And then three days later, he's resurrected, and the world has changed again. All of a sudden, there is a plan to deal with that sin in the world. And then 50 days later, on this day of Pentecost, as promised by Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes. And just as surely as sin changed the world, just as surely as Jesus' resurrection changed the world, the Holy Spirit's power changed the world. The first thing that we see is that the Holy Spirit released the power to preach. As soon as the fire descended and Peter was standing there, he stood up and he delivered what would really be his very first message. Obviously, Jesus had preached to the people when he was here on earth, but other than that, you don't see a lot of recorded words of the apostles getting up and and giving speeches or giving messages of any kind. But Peter stood up on that day in Acts 2, verse 14. It says, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. Peter had a power that was within him that day. He was ready to preach a message that was going to be very um, convicting. He wasn't holding back. He wasn't pulling any punches. He told them about the fact that they had crucified Jesus, this Jesus that you gave over to the authorities to be crucified, and he, he really let them have it. And it really convicted them, and they were touched by these words. This was also significant for another reason. In economics, and uh, I don't know if we have any economists in the, in the room, but I think if you've ever taken an economics class in school, you've probably learned that when a business is wanting to start up, there is something called barriers to entry. There is things that they have to overcome in order to be able to become a business. So, for instance, a cable company, and you've probably seen one of these guys out Uh, working on a pole. You know, he's out there, he's trying to make uh, cables running from pole to pole. If a cable company wanted to come into a new area, they'd first have to do what? They'd have to run all the cables across the poles and to the houses. And that's a pretty expensive venture. And so a cable company might not get into business for that very reason, that it's too expensive. Of course, then we have a more basic business that some of you may have even uh, started yourself. And it's the classic lemonade stand. But there's some barriers to entry. You gotta have ice, you gotta have water, you gotta have sugar, you gotta have lemons, cups, you gotta have some change, a sign, you gotta have a stand, maybe a chair. There's some things that if you don't have, you're not gonna have a very good lemonade stand. And there are barriers to entry. You may decide as a eight-year-old, seven-year-old, you know what, it's just too tough. I don't think that I'm going to start my lemonade stand. Well, the church had some barriers to entry at this very moment as well, because up until this point, the gospel had really only been for the Jews. It had been preached in the synagogue. Well, guess what? There weren't a whole lot of people in the synagogue every week. There weren't a lot of Gentiles being exposed to the gospel whatsoever. And on that day, when the power came, when the Holy Spirit descended, what was the first thing that began to happen? The apostles began to preach in tongues that they didn't even know themselves, 
but people began to hear them and come from all nations. And it said they were gathered and they were hearing in their own language the apostles preached this message. See, God enabled the message to finally break through that barrier of it only being for the Jews, for it only being for the people who were willing to come to the synagogue. On that day, the power of the Holy Spirit descended, and all of a sudden, the power to preach was there. On that day, 3,000 people were added to the church. Can you imagine walking into downtown Nashville to just a big gathering and all of a sudden beginning to preach in such a way that 3,000 people all give their lives to Jesus? That was the power that was released on that day as Peter began to preach. The power of the Holy Spirit removed those barriers, and, and it hasn't stopped with that. If you think about it, the message has stayed the same, but the delivery has changed over time. The power of the Holy Spirit is always pointing us back to Jesus. That's something you need to know. And if, if I don't say it enough this morning, please hear that word and, and re- let it resonate. The Holy Spirit doesn't stand on his own. He's not there to glorify himself. He's always, his power, his work is always pointing back to Jesus. If you don't realize that, get it this morning that the Holy Spirit's work in your life is always going to point you back to the Savior, the Messiah, the one who came and changed it all. So the delivery has changed, but in the fact that we are an evolving society, the way that we get the message has changed. We saw some great inventions a few minutes ago, but what about things like the computer, satellite communications, The internet, all of these things have come about. And it's really easy for us to say, well, you know, scientists invented those things, and engineers came up with those ideas. I'm here to tell you, no idea has come into this world except that by God giving it, giving us the ability to invent it, or come up with it, or think about it. God's not sitting on the throne of heaven looking down saying, wow, that internet's pretty cool. I need to get some Wi-Fi up in here. It's not some new invention that he's like, wow, look at those people. They're amazing. He gave all of those abilities to us, everything that has been invented in all time or will be invented. We have no idea what the next hundred years is going to entail for us, right? There could be some new huge change that's coming in our world. And we don't even know that it's there, but God does. And so God is using these ways of getting his message out. The Holy Spirit power working through people. So on that day, Peter didn't stop just with an amazing message. In verse 43 of chapter 2, we read that the people were filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So Peter and the apostles realized the power was released on Pentecost for them to perform miracles. So the power to perform miracles was released on that day. There were healings and there were other miracles that took place. When we read Acts chapter 3, verse 6, but Peter said, and he's talking to a beggar. There was a beggar at the gate beautiful who had been crippled for 40 years. So this was not some uh, staged act This guy had been sitting at this gate for 40 years, crippled, begging for money every single day. And as Peter and John are are headed to the temple that day, the beggar sees them and he calls out to them. And this is Peter's answer in verse 6. I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. 
And the man got up and he walked. And he ran into the city and was dancing around in the temple proclaiming the miracle healing that he had just experienced. See, Peter and John probably could have stopped and preached to him first. And as he's laying there on his mat, begging as he had every day for 40 years, they could have probably told him, you know, Jesus loves you and he's going to save you. But do you think that he would have been a little less receptive had they not miraculously healed him first? The Holy Spirit's power working through them gave them the ability to meet human needs. You know, in 1868 in London, there was a Methodist Reformed minister by the name of William Booth who sought to bring uh, the, the castaways into the church. He was going after prostitutes and gamblers and, and alcoholics. And at that time, the Church of England was not receptive to any of those types of people. They weren't welcome. If you had come into the church and you weren't wearing your best suit and you weren't smelling clean, they would have cast you out. And William Booth realized that that just wasn't right. He realized that the people that were in the worst state, they needed the gospel the most. And so he came up with a plan. He said, I'm going to provide soup, soap, and salvation in that order. I'm going to feed them. I'm going to give them a, the most basic personal need that they have. I'm going to provide them a way to get cleaned up. And then and only then am I going to preach the gospel to them because once they have a full stomach, once they feel better about themselves, then I'll be able to preach the word, the gospel to him, to them. Well, I don't know if you know or not, but uh, William and his wife, Catherine Booth, they started a little thing called the Salvation Army. And it has, in the last hundred and how many ever years, has swept across this world. And they are 1.7 million members in their uh, mission still to try to take the gospel to the down and out to the castaways, to the people that are not welcome anywhere else. Meeting physical needs is an important part of getting someone saved, and the couple's East End mission was doing that. It abides by the same philosophy today. The power of the Holy Spirit released to give the power to heal was significant. It meant being able to meet those physical needs in order to, in order to help humanity. One of the questions or thoughts that typically comes up when talking about miraculous healing and the power of the Holy Spirit is that um, it, it, it must have gone away when the apostles died because we don't see that type of thing happening today. It was, you know, a lot of people call it apostolic succession, that once the apostles passed it on to one generation, then, then miracles went away. What a sad outlook on Christianity in this world. For 4,000 years before Christ ever even came into the world, God was working miracles. You look at the stories of Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Daniel, and you read the Old Testament, it's full of miracles. It's impossible, inconceivable to believe that God, the God of the universe, for 4,000 years would work miracles, would let it go all the way up until his son is here, and then just let it go away because that he doesn't care about us anymore. Miracles are in this world. I've seen miracles happen. Hopefully you've seen miracles happen too. Maybe you just haven't realized that you saw miracles happening. There's a TV show, and I'm not going to um, endorse it for you to go home and start watching it because there's some uh, messed up theology in it, but it's called Kevin Probably Saves the World. If you've seen it, you'll relate to what I'm about to say. But this character in this movie, or in this TV show, 
is he thinks his mission in, in life is to help to redeem humanity. And so he's going around trying to find uh, the, the righteous people in the world. But the part that I want to clue in on here is the fact that every day this guy, this character wakes up in the show, he is looking for what the universe, God, is doing to try to help him. And everything he thinks, everywhere he turns, he's, he's like, this must be something that's going to help me today. This must be something that's going to point my direction. And he has an anticipation with every single day that God is going to move in his life. Do we wake up every single day with an anticipation that God is going to move in our lives? Are we waking up every single day looking for what miracles are actually happening all around us every single day? Perhaps it's not a matter of God not doing the miracles. Perhaps it's a matter of us not seeing them. God's power came into the world through the Holy Spirit on that day, a power to perform miracles, miracles of healing, miracles of protection. The Holy Spirit also released the power to withstand persecution. I've got three scriptures I want us to read quickly. Acts chapter 4, verses 17 through 20. It says, But so that this does not spread any further among the people... Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in his name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak. So this is the Pharisees talking about the apostles. Ordered them not to speak or uh, to teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So the Pharisees first just told them to stop. Then in Acts 15, or Acts 5, verse 18, rather. So they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. They're trying to just say, shut up, didn't work. So now that they have arrested them. Moving forward into Acts 5, verse 40. <clears throat> I'll fill you in. In between verses 18 and 40, the apostles escaped by a miracle. They, the gates were opened and they just showed up in the temple the next day. So Acts 5, verse 40, after they called in the apostles, they had them flogged and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. So the apostles, filled with this new power, they're told to not to speak. They keep speaking. They're arrested. They keep speaking. They're beaten. They keep speaking. In spite of all this persecution, they were filled with the power just to keep going. In the United States, there's likely been no greater persecution witnessed than that of African Americans. U.S. history is replete with heroes of the civil rights movement that demonstrated amazing ability to withstand persecution. On December 1st, 1955, in Montgomery, Alabama, an African American seamstress left work and boarded a bus from home. As the bus became crowded, the driver ordered her to give up her seat to a white passenger. Montgomery's buses at that time were segregated. White people could sit in the front, Black people could sit in the back. But if the white section filled up, someone in the black section had to stand up. But on that particular day, Rosa Parks had been fed up with it. She wasn't going to stand up because she knew that it wasn't right for her to have to give up her seat for someone else. She was tired of the mistreatment, and so she stayed in her seat. The bus driver had her arrested. A man by the name of Martin Luther King Jr. heard about that, and he staged a boycott of all the buses in Montgomery, Alabama. 17,000 African Americans living there boycotted buses for an entire year. After an entire year of that boycott, 
finally the city decided the segregation on their buses was stupid, and they got rid of it. Rosa Parks had the power to withstand that persecution, and she changed her town. In Little Rock, Arkansas, there were nine students who became known as the Little Rock Nine. In 1957, these students were challenged by the segregation in the Deep South. Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas had already made it federally illegal to segregate schools, but it didn't mean that it ended. In their particular school, Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, it was an all-white school, and these nine black students decided that they were going to go to school, and each day when they went, they were met with resistance. People threatening to kill them, threatening to beat them, spitting on them. The governor of the state called in the National Guard and had them met with armed guards as they tried to arrive for school. Can you imagine your 14-year-old teenage student having to face that when they go to school? Can you imagine the angst that these students must have gone through, these nine students with the whole world seemingly against them? President Eisenhower had to send in federal troops in order to make the situation easier. One of the young girls, a young 15-year-old student named Elizabeth Eckford said, I tried to see a friendly face somewhere in the mob. I looked into the face of an old woman and it seemed a kind face. But when I looked at her again, she spat at me. These students had the power to withstand persecution and they made a change that has rippled into our modern day. We have a lot of people to thank in the United States for the way the civil rights movement helped us to adjust our thinking and be able to see that people are equal. The apostles, they were fighting for something much more important than civil rights. The apostles knew that if they stopped preaching, the word of Jesus would stop. They had witnessed what Jesus had done. They had seen what he had gone through. They had seen him crucified, resurrected. They had seen him work miracles and preach messages. And on those days when they were being beaten and arrested and told to stop, they knew that if they stopped, that it was, there was a lot riding on that day. In Acts 5, verses 41-42, much like the Little Rock Nine and Rosa Parks, it says, the apostles were full of joy as they left the Sanhedrin. They considered it an honor to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. Day after day, they kept teaching in the temple courtyards and from house to house. They never stopped telling the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Amen is right. Amen, because their willingness and their ability through the Holy Spirit's power to withstand that persecution allowed them to keep, keep going with the message. The Holy Spirit released the, that power that day to withstand persecution, but also released a power to persevere. In Acts 5, verses 34 through 39, there is a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people. And he stood up in the Sanhedrin and he ordered the men to be taken outside, the, the apostles that were standing there. And he said to them, men of Israel, be careful what you're about to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and his followers dispersed and it came to nothing. After this, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished and his followers were scattered. 
So in this present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if the plan of this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. The power of the Holy Spirit working through us as believers has allowed for well over 2,000 years for the power of the Holy message, the gospel message, to prevail, for it to persevere. Gamaliel was right when he said that you may be found fighting against God if you try to persecute these men any further. Because what God has intended to change this world, man cannot stop. Man is involved in the spread of the gospel, but no one who rises up against him is going to prevail. God has given us the power. He's given us the victory. I'm not sure if Gamaliel realized what he was proclaiming on that day. Did he have any inkling that we would be quoting his words nearly 2,000 years later? I'm sure that he had no idea what he was really saying. But it's comforting to know that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of God, the salvation provided by Jesus' crucifixion cannot be overthrown. The beautiful part of this story is that the Holy Spirit's power is still working in us today. It's still working in you and I to prolong this story and continue writing its chapters. I once told a professor in seminary that I had finished reading the book of Acts, and he said, no, my son, you're still writing it every single day. And it's true. The book of Acts, it goes on and on and on. You and I, every day that we live, the acts of the apostles, the acts of the believers, however you want to look at that book, we're writing new chapters in it. The power of God released by the Holy Spirit enabled us to preach the gospel, to perform miracles, to withstand persecution, and for his work to preserve, persevere. Pentecost was a pivotal moment, and that's why we remember and celebrate it today. Throughout the Old Testament, we're reminded that God encouraged tradition. One of the benefits of tradition is that it keeps people from forgetting the past, including the struggles and the victories. So today, as we stand, my prayer is that uh, as we stand and take a few minutes, that we'll ponder that question, why Pentecost? And allow ourselves to be reminded of the power that was poured out on that day. The power that remains in us today as believers, pointing us back to Jesus and reminding us that God is working in our lives today. In just a few moments, you'll have the opportunity to take communion. Our prayer partners are going to come and be at the front on either side. Pastor Aaron is here, and he's going to be offering communion through intinction. There's also communion set up on either side at the front and at the back. As we listen to the music that is going to be played as we sing this song. If you want to take part in communion, you can come up the side aisles, come to the front, return through the middle or the, the end, aisle, end aisles. If you want to take intention, you can do that right here in the front. I'm going to pray and then we're going to close out the service in just a few moments. And I pray that you would be able to answer with conviction. Why Pentecost? Because we need the power of the Holy Spirit living in us today. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. Lord God, we're, we're thankful for your word that lives and breathes and lives in us today. We're thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit poured out on Pentecost that is still in us. 
still inside of us, enabling us to work miracles, to preach your word, to persevere and to withstand persecution when it comes. Lord God, we're thankful for the way that you watch over us. We're thankful that you give us the ability to wake up every day looking for your power to be revealed in this world. Lord God, we thank you for all of that. We thank you for the gift of communion to, to be able to remember the fact that Jesus died on a cross. He gave up his body and his blood for our forgiveness, for our healing, for our lives to be made complete through him. And so Lord, as we commit ourselves to a time of prayer, we ask that you would help us to be in thought of that communion element that we take, that it becomes something more than just juice and bread, but it come, becomes meaningful symbols of the body and the blood of Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.